All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? We say it every week. Come on. We believe that Jesus, he is the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever your issue, your hurt, your habit, or your heartache, if you'll give Jesus an opportunity to meet you where you are, it would be the greatest decision, come on, that you've ever made. How many people know that's true? Come on. Can we make some noise for the goodness of God? Well, listen, I'm excited to be here as, uh, as we step into week number two in a series we started last week entitled Things That Go Bump. And it's this conversation that we find in Scripture, this picture of this, this is what we talked about last week, this idea of this, this spiritual realm, this, this idea that there's something you can't see, that there's a realm, there's an existence that your five senses can't pick up, but it's as real as this natural realm. It's as real as this world we live in that you can taste, touch, feel, interact with, that there is a spiritual realm. And the way we introduced it was last week we talked about back at the turn of the, uh, the 19th or the 18th century, 19th century, uh, scientists and doctors, they were unclear of really where disease came from and sickness came from. And they taught something called spontaneous generation, which was anybody could get sick at any time for any reason. They, they really weren't sure what was causing it. And this scientist by the name of Louis Pasteur came along, and he presented something called the germ theory, which was this, that ultimately there were microorganisms, things that you can't see, and that was, that was the cause of sickness and disease, that these things, again, that you couldn't see, they could be spread by wind or touch or whatever, and that, again, was what was at the heart of disease, and scientists pushed back on that idea. Doctors refused to believe that there was something they couldn't see that was causing sickness. Well, here we are several hundred years later, and it's a common understanding. People believe everywhere that these things, microorganisms, that you can't see these things. And this is what we said last week, that there is an invisible world that impacts our visible world. Now, when it comes to germs, everybody's like, yes, we get it now. But even more than that, last week we talked about, again, this, this spiritual realm that there was, before this earth was created, before uh, creation, before this universe came, there was an invisible world, that God is a spirit, that there is this spiritual realm, and God, who is invisible, who is a spirit, spoke creation into existence, and his realm was here before this realm, and the realm of the spirit, this, this realm you can't see, that impacts this visible realm, it'll be here long after this one's gone. And so we just had this challenge. Again, it's, it's a big conversation. But when you step into this conversation, here's what you have to understand. Is not only does God's word have the right to reveal this realm, but God's word has the right to define this realm. Which means when you have conversations with people in all walks of life, some people may say they choose, they don't believe that there is an invisible realm. Some people would say they'll, they believe it, but they'll introduce uh, all kinds of crazy ideas all kinds of different spiritual or spiritualism ideas. And when I say God's word has not only the right to reveal it, but define it, when we talk about God, you can ask and have conversations with all different people and who is God, what is God like, and people will give you perspectives and opinions based on their upbringing, their religious perspectives, but we believe God's word alone reserves the right to tell us who God is, what God is like, how God is. God isn't worshiped on your terms. God's worshiped on his terms. And at the same time, not only is, is there a God who's worshipped and God's word reveals who he is and what he's like and how he's worshipped, God's word, and this is where we're going to go today, is that God's word reveals that there is not only in the spiritual realm good, there is in this spiritual realm evil, that there is a real devil and there is a real demon. Now, when you talk about devils and demons, all of a sudden, you just understand the brakes just came off in the church you're at. 
Isn't that crazy? It's like you talk about God, people are like, oh, yeah, God, and God loves me, and God loves everybody. And you say the word Satan, demon, devils, people are like, wait a minute. I think we might need to find another church. Well, listen, again, you, you can't have it both ways. The same Bible, the same revelation that reveals that there is a good God that you can't see, that his goodness manifests in this realm, that his mercy and his grace shows up in this life, that there is a real devil, there are real demons, and what they do somehow impacts and influences the world you live in and the world we live in. There is this real invisible world that impacts this visible world. And so you have to have this conversation, right? I mean, like, when you talk about the devil, who is the devil? Again, there's lots of opinion. People will say that the devil is somehow just this allegory or this representation of evil. And again, that's just not the picture you get in Scripture. What you find in Scripture is God's Word very much teaches that the devil is a real person, a real personality. Jesus taught that the devil is real. And I don't know about you, but anything Jesus teaches, I go with. If you can predict and pull off your death and resurrection, I believe what you have to say. And so Jesus taught the devil was real. Satan was a real entity, a real being. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, well who is this guy? Well, there's lots of this conversation. In fact, this message I'm going to give you today, I could do a whole series just on this. So we're going to make pretty good traction today. I'm going to give you lots of scripture. Let's just start here. Here's where the Bible tells us this background about who this guy Satan is or the devil. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 14. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star. The word shining star, his name is Lucifer. Everybody say Lucifer. That was his angelic name, and the interpretation is this, O shining star. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God's far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens, and I will be like the most high. So some of you maybe who've been in church for a while, like this is kind of one of the, the, one of the pictures we have of who Satan is or who he was. That somewhere in creation, God created angels the same way he created everything. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God created the heavens and the earth. Before the heavens and the earth, God created angels, these, these beings that he created to serve him and glorify him and worship him. And we understand through Scripture that Lucifer was an archangel. He was one of the chief angels. He was one of the ones that was large and in charge. And at some point, he looked around and said, I don't, I don't know if I like this whole God idea and him being in charge. I think I want to be in charge for a while. And his desire was to elevate his position above God's. Well, you know, God doesn't take too kindly to that, not only in the angelic realm and ours, right? We're, we can't create anything above God. God has the highest place in our life, and he has the highest place because he's the highest God. And so Satan was cast out of heaven, was cast out of God's presence because of his pride and his arrogance that I'm going to be like the most high God. And so he went from being Lucifer, this shining star, this archangel to being who we know or who I know who scripture reveals as Satan or the devil and so we see he was again at one at one time at the right hand of God serving in a position of influence bringing God glory to wanting God's glory and he gets cast out but the bad news is he didn't get kicked out alone 
He got booted out. And again, some of you guys have heard this in Florence and Lawrenceburg. You heard that when he got booted out, he, got, he, he took a third of the angels with him. Now, here's what's crazy. Anybody here, have you ever had, a, ever had a friend that influenced you to make a bad decision? Wave at me. That's everybody. Anybody here, you were the bad friend that, that influenced people to make that bad decision? Wave at me. Come on. Now, think about this. I have had friends in my life, and I have been the friend in other people's lives that I told them, like, you can get away with it. Your parents are dumb. They'll never find out. Police will never catch you. Now, it's one thing to convince somebody your parents won't find out or the police won't catch up with you or, like, there won't be any bad. But listen, you got to be pretty convincing to say we can get this one over on God. Now, I say that kind of joking, but the devil is so good at what he does He's such a good deceiver that he was able to convince a third of all of the angels. No, we know better than God knows. And we can get, we can get away with this coup. We can pull off this rebellion. And so not only was Lucifer an angel who has fallen from heaven, who is Satan, but the Bible paints this picture. Who are demons? That demons were originally created good that they were angels as well that served in heaven, that served God, that brought him glory and honor, but they took the devil's side. And the Bible says this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, so the great dragon was cast out. Everybody say cast out. That serpent of old. Again, he is revealed in the book of Genesis as a serpent. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, who was cast to earth and his angels were cast out with him. So here's again this picture. We we start to see it come together and shape as we peel back the pages of scripture. Who is who is Satan? He was Lucifer. He's a fallen angel. Who are the demons? It was a third of the angels that was cast out with him. A third. What's that number? We don't know. Here's all I know is we're still in the majority. Two-thirds always better than a third. And I, listen, I don't care if they all went with him. We still serve the most high God. And no matter how who's who's against him, come on. God's greater. And so we have this, this, this challenge, we have this interaction, but here's what you need to know, is you have this conversation about this invisible realm that impacts your visible realm, impacts our government, impacts our culture, impacts your family, impacts your decisions, influences who we are, that in this, that you better believe the devil's powerful. He's been around a lot longer than you. He knows scripture better than you. He knows God better than you. He knows this world better than you. He knows human nature better than you. He's smart. He's wise. He's cunning. And all of the angels, the fallen angels with him. And so you better believe he's powerful. But also what you need to know is he ain't all powerful. There's only one who's all powerful, and that's the God we serve. He's knowing, but he's not all knowing. There's only one who's all knowing, and that's the God we serve. He might feel like he's everywhere, but he can only be one place at one time. But the God we serve is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at all times. He can be, come on, somebody. So I say that to say, again, when you have this conversation, here's where we're going to go today, that in this room and in Lawrenceburg and in Florida, there's some of you that are way over here. You're like, no, nah, I don't know about devils and demons. Well, you're foolish because you're ignoring what Scripture clearly teaches is a real influence in your life. And some of you are way over here, and everything that ever happens in your life is the devil. And it's all the devil, and, and, and it's, not, it's not the devil. It's just you're not good with money. It's not the devil. It's just not, you're not good at marriage. It's not the devil. It's just you didn't learn how to raise kids very well. But we got to find this place that Scripture clearly teaches that the devil is responsible for some things. He's not responsible for everything. 
And as you navigate this area, what we have to know is, come on, when you step on God's side, you step on the winning team. And you may not have the power to overcome the enemy, but let me tell you what you have. I don't have time to get into today. You may not have the power. He has more power, but you have authority because all authority is in God. He says, behold, I've given you all authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall harm you. Let's go, somebody. You have authority in the name of Jesus. You have authority as children of the most high God, which means when you understand what you're going through is a spiritual attack, you just don't have to sit back and take it, but you can stand up and fight back in the name of Jesus and walk in victory. Go ahead, Pastor. So here's a question. Why does he hate humanity? I mean, I don't know about you, but I never did anything to him. I mean, this is just a real practical question. As I'm getting ready, I'm like, well, what did I do to you? I mean, I know some people I think deserve your, your attention. In fact, I got a list. I can pass it on. But what, I mean, really, have you ever thought about that question? Why me? If there's a real spiritual influence, the devil's in it, he attacks you, he comes against you, like, what did I do? That's a great, great question. Here's how the Bible, again, we're going back to God's word. Here's what the Bible says about the enemy, your enemy, my enemy. It says this, 1 Peter, it says, stay alert. Everybody say that. That means if you don't think he's there, wake up. Stay alert and watch out for your and my in our, Lawrenceburg and Florence, everybody online, our great enemy, our great enemy of humanity, our great enemy of the United States, our great enemy of the church, our great enemy of family, our great enemy of who we are in Jesus. He's our, come on, everybody say our, our great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, here's the question. Why is he our great enemy? What, what do we do to him? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. Scripture doesn't really clearly say this, but I think there's two reasons. He's your enemy, my enemy. I think there's two reasons that he's attacking you and attacking me. There's two reasons he's trying to disrupt, distract, and destroy you and trying to disrupt, distract, and destroy me. Number one, I think he's jealous. Oh, there ain't nothing worse than somebody jealous. You say, well, why is he jealous? Because remember who he was and where he came from. Who he was and where he came from is he came from being in the presence of God as an archangel of God in this position where he had a connection with God. And all of a sudden now he got cast out of heaven. He no longer has a place with God. Did you know the Bible says that we are, called, we are heirs of salvation? I know you may not know what that term means. What that means is because of Jesus, you're somebody. You're written in the palm of his hand. His na your name is written in heaven. You're a child of the most high God. You've been created in his image. You've been called by his name. You've been washed in his blood. You are worthy of the blood of his son. Come on, somebody. And when the devil looks at who you are, when he looks at what God gave you, come on, he gets a little bit jealous. In the Old Testament, some of you maybe didn't know this. Did you know in the Old Testament, angels are called the son of, sons of God five times? Well, not anymore because he got cast out. And you turn and you flip to the New Testament, and you know who's called the sons of God now? You and I. And he don't like it. And so he's jealous. He's jealous of your position. As heirs of salvation, when we struggle, when we sin, when we fall, we have a place we can run to into the merciful arms of a heavenly father who loves us, who provided a sacrifice for all of us to find forgiveness every time. Satan and his angels, his fallen angels, they are past redemption. You can look and you can say, but did God, if God 
forgives us? Didn't he forgive them? Couldn't he forgive them? I mean, here's all I can say is, again, the Bible doesn't say, but the Bible paints a very clear picture that the God we serve is merciful. But his mercy is only accessed through your repentance, which means he won't forgive you unless you seek forgiveness. So could, could, could Satan have been forgiven? Could the angels who fell with him been forgiven? I, I want to say potentially yes, because that's a picture we have of our creator. But I want to say no, because he didn't. Maybe he didn't want forgiveness. But at the end of the day, to know we didn't have it and we could get it, he didn't get it because he couldn't have it, sets him up to be just a little bit jealous. So he hates you, not because you did anything to him. He just hates you because of what you have in Jesus. And here's another thing. I think not just because of jealousy. I think he hates you just because God loves you. Anybody here ever date somebody crazy? Now, you, now if you're still dating them, you don't know how crazy they are. You only access the crazy level when you break up with them. Anybody here ever break up with somebody and find out there? Just wave at me unless they're still sitting in the same church you're at and you love you. Come on. Come on. Anybody ask? And I just got to say this because I'm a guy. I've never dated guys. But anybody here ever date a crazy girl? Where's all my fellas at? These all scared to raise your hands. Now, here's what's funny. When you date, when you date somebody and they got that crazy gear in them, Here's what happens is you break up with them and they get mad at you, especially, especially girls. Typically, a girl can't physically hurt a guy. I know some of you got that real crazy gear in you and you can. <laughs> but typically, if a girl is slighted, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Can I just get amen? amen? And you get a woman that's upset at a man and she realizes I want to physically hurt him, but I don't want to go to prison. You know what she does is she messes up his stuff. And I have seen, I have witnessed firsthand, and if you ain't witnessed it firsthand, you can YouTube it, TikTok it. There are some crazy level women outside jacking up a man's ride, running keys. Got a muscle car, got a brand new Mustang, got a BMW with keys. All your clothes thrown in the yard with bleach dumped on them. Some of you taking notes like, wait a minute, say that again. Why would you do that? Why? Because I hate you, but I can't hurt you. So if I can't hurt you, I'm going to hurt what you love. Because if I hurt what you love, it'll hurt you. And when you understand that you are God's creation, again, created in his image, worthy of the blood of his son, the devil can't hurt God, but the way he hurts God is by trying to hurt you as creation. So you are in the way, come on, of a war, and whether you like it or not, if you don't fight back, you will be a casualty. The devil is jealous of what you have, and he, he hates who God is, so he hates you. And if you don't fight back, you'll lose. It's a real enemy. So how does he hurt us? He hates us. How does he hurt us? Here's what the Bible says. Anybody with me today? Here's what the Bible says. Listen to this, John 10, 10. It says, the thief, here's what Jesus said. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Some of you in this room and you in managerial positions or you're trying to navigate life well, you're a student trying to figure out your career and you have you know, five-year goals, 10-year goals, you have a life mission, a life plan. If you'd walk into the devil's house on his wall, his five-year plan, 10-year plan, 20-year plan, 100-year plan, millennium plan is right here. To steal, to kill, 
and destroy. And when he's stolen, he wants to steal some more. And when he's murdered, he wants to kill some more. And when he just, he's destroyed your life, he wants to destroy the life of your kids. When he's destroyed your life, he wants to destroy the life of the culture and community we live in. That's his constant, consistent mission in life. Why? Because he's jealous and because he hates. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And so when you ask the question, how does the devil hurt us? Well, he doesn't really hurt us because humanity's already hurt. We live in a world that's fallen and broken. We live in a world that is plagued with disease, bankrupt of morality, struggling with anxiety, filled with hurt, overcome with disease. We're already hurting. If the devil never did anything else, we did it to ourselves through sin. We say, well, if, why is the devil then our enemy? How is, he inter- how is he involved? How is he interacting in the invisible world, in this visible world? How does he steal, kill, and destroy? It's this way. We're already hurting. What he does is he wants to keep you, get you or keep you disconnected from the solution and the source of life that will fix what's broken in you. See, the word reveals that God is, God is a God of hope. If you're hopeless... The enemy can't make you hopeless. What he can do is to keep you disconnected from the source of hope. If you are experiencing physical death or spiritual death, he understands that God is God of life. He can't really bring death. All he can do is keep you from getting connected to the source of life, the source of light, the source of joy, the source of peace. That's all he does is he wants to do everything. He can't watch this. This is so important. Either to keep you from connecting with God or to try to get you disconnected from God. If you've never been connected, if you've never stepped into a personal relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, <clears throat> he's, going, he's doing all he can to fight against that because he doesn't want you to find the solution to the source of life, joy, hope, and peace. And if you have given your life to Christ, he's not done with you. He's fighting you day and night, tooth and nail, every situation, everything you go through. He's fighting you because he wants you to tap out on your relationship with God. He wants to pull the plug on your relationship with God. You might say, well, pastor, aren't we safe in our relationship with God? The devil can't really keep you from God, and he he can't really disconnect you, but he can tempt you and influence you to do it yourself. And so how does does he hurt humanity? We're already hurt, but there's probably uh, two things. I want, to, I want to kind of lean into this conversation. Ephesians chapter 6. Here's where we're going to kind of lean for the last few minutes. Here's what Paul says in this conversation of our spiritual enemy and, and how do we fight, how does he influence. He says this, verse 10. I want us all to read these first three words together. Lawrenceburg, Florence, every voice, say this with me. A final word. Everybody say that. Say it one more time. He said, I'm about to tell you something important. You better pay attention. Sit up. Take notes. Be aware. What we read Peter said earlier, be alert. This is really important. And some of you are not going to listen to this. Some of you have already tuned me out. Some of you are just tuning out. I don't, buy, I don't believe all that stuff. Will you believe that at your own, at your own peril? I went uh, this past week. I, I went up and traveled. I was hanging out one night with a friend. And uh, this is what guys do. Guys show off our toys to guys. That's just what we do. And so this buddy of mine, he got into a ski boat. And he's like, let me take you out on my ski boat. So we're out, and he lives on a lake, and so we're going around his lake. And it's a nice, I don't know anything about boats. The steering wheel steers it, and there's a thing, a throttle. And that's all I know about boats. That's it. And uh, so we're out on this boat. I don't know anything about, like, a, a, I know the difference, like, a pontoon and a ski boat. But 
as far as like abilities, I now know. And so out on this boat, and we're kind of just going around. He says these words to me, hang on. (laughs) Which is the equivalent of Paul saying a final word. He says, hang on. And so I'm like, okay. And so there's handles everywhere. So I grab a handle with my left, and I grab a handle with my right. And he did something I didn't know boats could do. In a second, he did a complete 360 on a dime. And when he did a complete 360 on a dime, I went from sitting in a seat to laying in the back of the boat. (laughs) And he says this to me. He's like, oh, my gosh, Pastor, are you okay? He says this, I told you to hang on. (laughs) But how you said hang on, I didn't think you meant that. Like, I thought he was going to do, like, some S-turns, like a serpentine down the lake. I didn't know he was doing a 360 on a dime. I would have understood the power of centrifugal force, and I would have leveraged that into my decision to hold on a little stronger. So when I say a final word, because Paul says a final word, some of you got kind of a loose grip on life, and the devil's about to take you for a 360, and if you don't hang on the way Scripture says to hang on, you're going to be in the back of the boat, or you're going to be over into the water. Hang on. A final word. Everybody say a final word. Be strong in the Lord. You can't fight this in you. You can't overcome in you. You ain't enough. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says this. Some of you have heard this conversation. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Pay attention so you can stay in your seat and not in the back of the boat when the devil attacks. Watch this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Again, I want you to notice the power of his conversation. He says some of you are making the mistake to think that some of the conflict you're in, some of the trouble you have, some of the battles you're going through, that what your marriage is experiencing, the tension you have in your family, some of the things that you're going through, you think it's all psychological. You think it's all relational. And he says, yeah, there's some of that in that. He says, but some of it is bigger than that. Some of what you're fighting isn't flesh and blood. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not your wife. It's not your kids. It's not Biden. It's not Trump. It's not Republicans. It's not Democrats. It's not white it's not black it's not blue some of what we're experiencing the fight we feel the disconnection we feel the hate we're wrestling with it is demonically inspired to pull us apart and disconnect us from our creator he says pay attention it's not all us and if all you do is blame us you'll never find the solution and the real strategy to overcome because some of what we're experiencing it's not flesh and blood You can't reach out and grab it. You can't vote it out of office. You can't go to enough counseling for it. You can't read enough self-help books to fix it. It's a spiritual battle and can only be won in the spirit. Some of you better fight for your marriage in the spirit. Some of you better start fighting for your kids in the spirit. Some of you better start fighting for this church in the spirit. Some of you better start fighting for your financial freedom, for your success. Watch this. Notice the Bible says the devil has strategies. Did you know that God has a strategy for your life? We love to talk about how God has a plan and a purpose. Lawrence Burke, come on. How many of you guys believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? Wave at me. 
Come on, you better believe that God has a strategy. He's got a plan and a purpose to bless you and prosper you. But the same way the en- God has a plan to bless you and prosper you, the enemy has a plan. He has a strategy. We already read it in John 10, 10. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God wants to bless and give life. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, which is it? Do you get blessed or do you get cursed? Do you have life or do you get death? Here's the beautiful thing. You get to choose. And by not choosing, you're choosing. By not fighting, you're choosing. By not being aware of the battle, you're choosing. And some of you think, I'm in a tough spot in life, and you're blaming everybody, sometimes including the person in the mirror, and you're not seeing that there is an invisible realm that's impacting your visible realm and mine too. And so watch this. Here's, here's the devil's strategy if you're taking notes. The primary strategy, again, this is a big conversation. I'm limiting to this to two. It's more than two, but here are the big two. The primary strategies of the enemy, of the devil, are temptations and accusations. Temptations and accusations. Everybody say that. Temptations and accusations. When we say temptations, I want you to notice temptations, obviously we hear that, that idea of being tempted. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God creates everything. Genesis chapter 2, God creates Adam and Eve, he creates humanity. And immediately we see the serpent in the garden. Immediately we see Satan showing up to steal, kill, and destroy. How does he steal, kill, and destroy? That's what he wants to do. How does he do it? Through temptation. We see Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but do you know that our Heavenly Father allowed his son Jesus to experience temptation? Because how can he fight something he's not aware of? How can he give victory in something he himself doesn't have victory in? And so he fought the devil and won, but he, the enemy came. Matthew chapter 4 says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The number one strategy that the enemy uses in all of our lives is temptation. What is temptation? Temptation, if you're taking notes, temptations are demonically inspired impulses. They're little, they're little feelings we have, impulses, thoughts we have. They come in a flash or they feel like a wave. Demonically inspired impulses to fulfill God-given desires in ungodly ways. This is so important. I could spend weeks on this right here, but let me break it down for you. The devil doesn't have any new tricks. What he does is he takes on the inside of all of us, Lawrenceburg, Florence. When God created us, God put desires in us. And every desire our creator gave us was a good desire to be fulfilled in a good way. Let me just give you a quick one. God told Adam and Eve to have lots of sex and have lots of kids. That's my translations, not the Bibles. <laughs> now, y'all big boys and girls, if you're not, we got kids church. If you're in here, it's too late, but I'm all about it. Anybody here like sex, wave at me. Wave at me. <laughs> Thank you for being honest back there. Thank you. She's like, put your arm down. Now, we're all big boys and girls. If not, this may not be your church. If you liked, I can get, maybe you're just like, you just, if you like or liked sex, wave at me. Everybody should be lifting their hand. Wave at me. Freedom come in Jesus' name. Wave at me. Come on, one more time. Lawrenceburg, wave at me. There we go. Still got about 20%. Somebody like, I'm not sure. Can we wave our hands in church? Sex was God's idea. He created the human anatomy. He created male and female, intended them to procreate. 
And not just as a science experiment in a petri dish to produce children, but enjoy it in the process, which is why we have more sex than we have kids. You all are a rough crowd. Good Lord. I'm going to take that out of my notes. Hang on. I'm going to take that out for a second. Now, here's why. Sex and a desire for sex is a God-given desire. The chemicals put in your body and the neurons firing and the pleasure of your eyes, God-given desires. But then the devil shows up and he tempts you. What are temptations? Demonically inspired impulses to take and twist your God-given desire and fulfill it in an ungodly way. He doesn't, listen, the gift of sex is only given in the context of one man and one woman in the context of marriage for life. Everything outside of that, the devil wants to tempt you to fornicate. He wants to tempt you to masturbate. He wants to tempt, oh, he said that word in church too. He wants you to tempt you to cheat on your wife, cheat on your spouse. He wants you to go and once you're married, go sleep with somebody else you're not married to. All of those are sexual immorality. And God says, when you step outside of the boundaries of what I've created, you've given into a temptation of the enemy. And that's where sexual diseases and that's where disappointment is. And that's where unwanted pregnancies are, which leads you to believe that those babies aren't life. And that's where abortion comes from. And it all is death and destruction inspired by the enemy because he took a tempt or a desire God gave us and twisted it in your heart and your mind. Go ahead, pastor. You ain't got to applaud, but it's the word. Anybody here like food? Let's just try something a little tamer. Anybody here like food? Whew, we found some safety right there. I like food too. But then there's that level the devil will take you to where you're just a glutton. And you don't need a second piece of cake, but it tastes good. You don't need a second plate, but it tastes good. And if you can reach down and grab a handful, which I can, it's because the devil took a God-given desire. Who do you, where do you think the desire to eat came from? God. Well, God doesn't want you to keep eating till you're fat or keep eating till you feel like you got to throw up or keep eating till you have body images in the mirror, till you hate yourself. Where all does all that come from? God established government. Did you know God established government? But it's the devil who twists the, the gift of being in authority and control. I'm in authority and control in this house as a lead pastor, but the devil wants to tempt me to be, a, to be in tyranny and to be a bully. And some of you serve under managers and serve under business owners, and all they are is bullies. Well, they have the authority, but the devil's tempting them. Did you know that God is a God of justice, that he hates a lot of what's happening in this world, but at the same time, the devil wants to take your desire for justice, that someone hurt you or took advantage of you, and you want it to be right? It's okay for you to want it to be right, but then the devil twists that, that you want to hurt them physically. The Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't give place to the devil. See what he does? He takes these natural desires and he twists them. And that's what temptations are. And everybody in this room, including me, some of you looking for peace, the God we serve is the Prince of Peace. And you can either turn to him or turn to a bottle, a whiskey bottle, a beer bottle, a pill bottle. It's a desire for peace God's given us. Where do you find the solution? So we have a real spiritual enemy. He's not going to show up in this physical world and put on boxy gloves and fight you that way. He fights us in our mind. His strategies are temptations and accusations. I say accusations. I'm almost out of time. I got to pick up, pick up pace a little bit. Accusations. What are accusations? Accusations are the work of the enemy to accuse or slander your character or God's. 
The Bible says in Revelation that he's the accuser of the brethren. What, what does that mean? He's the accuser of Christians. What that means is, have you ever been in the place where you knew you made a bad decision? You knew you messed up. You knew you fell short. And then you started thinking, God don't love me anymore. Even though I want to get back to church, I'm not good enough to get back to church. I, messed, I, went, I went too far too long. God ain't going to take me back. If you ever felt like God don't love you, that wasn't your thought. That was a demonically inspired thought. That was the accuser saying, you messed up too much and God will never take you back. Accusations are saying God can't or God won't. God can't forgive you or God won't forgive you. And I have just found in my life, in the face of my failures, I choose to look to my Savior and not to myself. And it's the enemy. As, as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, I often feel, and it's, it's hard to recognize temptation in the moment. You just think, man, she might be looking at me, and you forget you're married for half a second. And you make excuses. We're just chatting. It's just a conversation on social media. And you cross boundary after boundary and you find yourself in sin. The accusation is the same way. It's so subtle. Again, the devil's good at this. You don't come in waving flags. You're being tempted. <laughs> accusation alert. He'll never expose himself. That's why you have to stay alert. Lawrenceburg, that's why you have to stay alert. That's why it's a final word. Pay attention. Because he's subtle. He's smooth. He knows exactly the frequency to communicate to you on you'll never know it's him. And so when he comes in, I have battled accusations. Man I, man, I can't get back up there Sunday. I'm a hypocrite. And if it was up to the enemy, I wouldn't be on this platform because I'm not good enough. And if I'm a pastor, I would really love Jesus and I wouldn't do that again. And I know if I feel that, you feel that way too. And you have to choose and I have to choose. Lawrenceburg, you have to choose. Florence, you have to choose. If you're going to listen to God and his character or listen to the devil and his character, he operates through temptation and accusation. Here we go. Watch this. Again, Satan uses temptations. Watch this. Satan uses temptations to keep you disconnected from God and uses accusations to keep you from reconnecting with God. If he can tempt you enough, he can keep you out of a living relationship with your Savior. He'll keep you in sin and keep you away from your Savior. And if you've stepped into a relationship with God, then he'll bring, try to bring accusations to try to say, no, I don't, I don't belong here. I can't, I can't love God, and God can never love me. That's his strategy, temptations and accusations. Temptations are an argument or a deception against the justice of God. Did you know God is a just God, and he's going to judge sin? And either your sin can be judged in Jesus on the cross or can be judged in your life in eternity. You get to choose. And so we get to live this life and we get to think, oh, God don't care. God's not there. It's no big deal. I know I married her, but she's cute and she liked me more than my wife. And so God understands. No, God don't understand. Temptation is to get you to convince, get you convinced that there is no such thing as the justice of God. God's word clearly says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. God will absolutely, whatever you plant is what you're going to harvest. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. In the same way, temptation disguises or keeps us from the justice of God, accusations keeps us from the mercy of God. Wants to disguise that God is good. God is merciful. God is good to a thousand generations. Some of you are worried. Here's what's crazy. Can I just talk to the crazy evangelical people in the room? And you know who you are. You watch Fox News too much. Oh, I'm getting real today. You write me your letters. You're tied up so much in what you perceive 
government is or isn't doing that you think they should or shouldn't do to guard the American dream? Long before the American dream, and should Christ tarry long after the American dream, God is still in control, and he is merciful to a thousand generations. I'm not dependent on Biden or Trump or whoever was before them or whoever's after them. We are dependent on the living God who loves us, who is 100% in control, and he's using all things. He's working all things, Biden things, Trump things. He's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Go ahead, Pastor. <laughs> I, I just got to say this. I'm, I'm out of time. Uh, I'm out of time. So what's, what's our fight back? I want you to notice, again, I don't have time. Some of you have sat in services, and you've heard pastors expound and articulate for weeks about the armor of God. And I could do it too, and we could talk about But at the end of the day, you know what the armor of God is? The armor of God is a picture of truth. The shield of faith. What's faith? Truth. The breastplate of righteousness. It's who you are in Jesus. It's truth. The helmet of salvation. It's just truth. It's just truth. So that's why Paul says, put on all of God's armor. What is our strategy to fight the enemy strategy? Put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Scripture is the solution to the struggle with Satan. It's his truth. This is why Paul, Paul, he writes in Ephesians and before he gets in some struggles that the church was having at that time, before he starts getting into the issues, he knows if I get too much into the issues and these people don't know who they are in Jesus, they'll start giving way to the devil. Well, we're not good enough. We messed up again. God will never let. So you know how he starts the book of Ephesians? Check it out. Within the first three or four verses, he reminds them, you're called. You didn't choose God. God chose you. You're chosen. You're adopted. You didn't pick God's family. God picked you for his family. You're forgiven. So before we talk about the problems, let's talk about the promises. Oh, now I know who I am in Jesus. Now we can start digging through some of these issues because my problem doesn't disconnect me from my promise. And so this is so powerful. I'm gonna give you one more thing. You ready? Best thing I'm gonna tell you is my dad taught me this. Dad taught me this all, all and, and I try to tell my wife this. There are no such thing as victims. There are only volunteers. There are no victims in this world. It's only volunteers. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Well, he can't steal what you don't give him access to. He can't kill what's covered by the word, and he can't destroy what's founded on truth. When we were kids, I came up in a, not a super rough neighborhood, but the, the first, the first low-income housing was at the end of our street, and it just changed the tension and changed the dynamic. And we had crazy people just like you have crazy people. Our neighborhood, we had crime just like some of you got crime. And so in this neighborhood we came up is just as kids. And my dad would just say this. It would be the end of the day and we'd, put our, we'd have our bikes and we'd just leave our bikes parked out. Some of you guys leave your doors open. No, there are no victims. There's only volunteers. Some of you leave your car doors open. There are no victims, just volunteers. At the end of the day, my dad would say this, hey, take your bikes out back and put them in the garage. Make sure the garage is locked. Well, why? Well, dad, it's our bike. Well, if you leave your bike out front, you wouldn't have a bike in the morning. Someone else is going to be riding your bike. Come on, y'all with me? Then you say, well, that's my bike. How come they took my bike? How come he took my bike? How come she's riding my bike? Because you left it out for the enemy to take. People walk, thieves walk around, they just pull doors. They're just looking for any sucker that left their door open. Well, I just choose to trust everybody. Well, you're a sucker. There are no victims. You're a statistic. 
My wife, she walks around the mall with her purse open. Sometimes I'll just reach in behind her and grab something and just pull out and stick it in my pocket. And when she's like, where'd my card go? I'm like, see? Someone who wasn't as honest as me would have took this and not gave it back. I ain't giving it back. No, I'm just kidding. There ain't no victims. There's only volunteers. The thief. So I'm telling everybody here, telling everybody in Lawrenceburg, the thief wants to steal from you, wants to kill you, wants to destroy everything God's trying to do in your life. And he can't do anything that you don't give him permission to do. How do you give him permission? By living unaware, by living in doubt, by saying he's not there, by not paying attention to the final word, by not hanging on in life and fighting a spiritual fight with spiritual strategies covered in the truth of God's word. And if you'll fight the fight, God will give you victory in the name of Jesus. Come on, how many people spoil that? Listen, I want you all to pray with me. Father, God, I pray all over this room, including for myself, Holy Spirit, will you make us more aware than we've currently been, that we have a real spiritual enemy, that there are fights that we have had, that we are having and we're about to have that have nothing to do with people. It's not flesh and blood. And so, Lord, will you make us alert like Peter warned? Will you make us pay attention with the intensity of a final word like Paul warned? That, God, we can fight our spiritual enemy and walk in victory, that he cannot steal, he cannot kill and cannot destroy because we refuse to be a victim. And so, Lord, I pray, give us an awareness and give us a confidence in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen.